This is an encore presentation of TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050, the voice of hockey. If you like what you hear, you can catch TSN Hockey Analytics every Saturday at 4. Hey everybody, this this isn't an encore presentation. No, this is brand spanking new. This is live, baby. TSN Hockey Analytics, 1101 on February 17th. No encore here. I'm Andy McNamara, and we're live every Saturday, typically, at noon here on TSN 1050, tsn1050.ca, the iHeartRadio app. Had a couple days off on vacation, traveling around, but back and ready to get to it. Special Sunday edition here. So, got a lot to get to trade deadline rapidly approaching people we're going to be touching on a whole bunch of that off the top of the show be mike kelly from thepointhockey.com and tsn stats center contributor he'll stop by in just a moment gus katsaris roto world analytics columnist and mckean's hockey analyst in about 15 minutes time then we'll hear some tsn trade bait board analysis. Pierre Lebrun will take a look at Frank Saravelli's latest on tsn.ca. And then James Harding, some NHL fantasy takes. NHL.com fantasy writer James Harding with us here. But you know what? On the line, let's kick it right off. Mike Kelly from thepointhockey.com. Mike, how's it going, buddy? Hey, good, Andy. How you doing? Doing well, my friend. Doing well. And, of course, you can follow the show at TSN Analytics at AndyMC81 on Twitter. And Mike himself at Mike Kelly NHL. So, Mike, let's begin one of the hottest teams in the NHL, of course, the Philadelphia Flyers. Who thought we'd be saying that a few weeks ago? They've been, <laughs> play, they've been playing great as of late. Right, we got 8-1-1 and one in their last 10. And they're doing it all with 20-year-old Carter Hart in net. So, there's... A little more separation in the Eastern playoff race than in the West. So for the Flyers, currently seven points out of a wild card spot. Do you think the hot run here has come a little bit too little, too late? I do. It's uh, that's a lot to make up with, you know, twenty-five-ish games left, and uh, not only the fact that there's seven points out, but the fact that they have at least three teams to jump if they want to get into a playoff spot. So that's where it becomes tricky at this time of year because. Let's say Philly goes on a great run to, to finish the season with the 25-ish games they have left. If one of Buffalo, Pittsburgh, or Carolina plays any better than they do, it doesn't matter what the record is. They don't right. get in. So yeah. that, that makes it tough this time of year. Um, and seven points is no joke of a deficit either, uh, especially given the way that the Carolina's playing. You have to think Pittsburgh's going to kick it up another notch and, and find a way to get into the playoffs as well. And and then you have Montreal, who uh, is going through a, a bit of a tough stretch now, but they're facing some real top competition right now. So um, I do think it's a bit too little too late. And, you know, it, it is great what they've done lately. Uh, they've won 11 of 13. Their power play has been fantastic. They're getting good goaltending, uh, predominantly from Carter Hart. But there, there's still a lot of holes in the way that this team plays. You look at, at even strength. Um, they've taken the second fewest shot attempts. They've allowed the most. Scoring chances are a bit better, uh, middle of the pack and, and not terrible against, uh, although not good. Um, you, know, you look at the way that the team's playing right now, uh, they're creating a lot off the rush. Uh, they're in the 13-game the time span I just mentioned, they're leading the league in odd man rushes, um, and, and they're not allowing a ton the other way as well. So, uh, you know, really good neutral zone play for them. They've been safe with the puck. Um, oftentimes when you're creating a lot in, in transition, you're, you're more apt to be giving up um, uh, odd man chances and, and quick chances the other way um, off turnovers, but they've done a really good job protecting the puck. It's still a team that, that struggles defending in its own end, um, 
And and like you said, I, I think the, the deficit's too much at this point, and I, I don't expect the wins to keep up the way that they have. Yeah, and Mike, I think it's a great point you bring up, and so often for fans of, of certain teams, they think, well, if we keep being hot, but people forget there are teams in front of them that they're, they're going to win as well. And so you, you have to go on that hot streak, keep it going, and then hope the teams in front of you go in a slump. So it, it, is, it is a bit of a hurdle, but we'll see how the Flyers uh, keep going and, and going along. But let's get to the, the trade bait board by Frank Saravelli on TSN.ca. A ton of scoring talent, Mike, right off the top. you got Panarin, Deshane, Stone, they're available. So obviously any team who, who could acquire that kind of talent would be benefiting in the short term. But do you feel there's an individual team that should be pursuing one of those elite scores the most? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, you know, Artemi Panarin, we, we all know what he can do. He's a game breaker. Every yeah. time he jumps over the boards, there can be a goal. Um, he's so good uh, in terms of creating offense, uh, either by getting the puck to his teammates or doing it himself. Um, I look at a team like Boston that needs secondary scoring in a big way, um, on the wing especially, uh, kind of a sneaky pick might be the Islanders. Uh, mm. We have to start looking at the New York Islanders as a legitimate threat in the National Hockey League. Yeah. Their, their record dictates it. They're, they're first in the Metropolitan Division. Um, you know, you look at Boston and Toronto, they're hanging right there with them in the conference. And, and they've been the best defensive team with arguably the best goaltending in the league this season. So that's a team that maybe they want to look at adding a big piece and, and making a big run this year. Um, I think a terrific fit for a guy like Mark Stone, who I think is he might very well be the best 200-foot winger in the league, is Vegas. Okay. And I say that because the way that Vegas attempt, you know, attempts to and does create a lot of its offense, it falls right in line with the way that Mark Stone plays. Vegas loves to cause turnovers in the neutral zone, really pressure you in, the, in their own end in the defensive end, pressure you in the neutral zone, and force you into mistakes that lead to quick chances the other way off the rush. That's Mark Stone's wheelhouse. This guy's a takeaway machine. Um, I think he'd be a terrific fit in a place like Vegas. And, you know, Matthew Shane, again, the, the, the one team that really stands out that needs uh, a, a bona fide second-line center is the Winnipeg Jets. It's just it's not working with Brian Little and Patrick Laine. It hasn't for a long time. If you can slot Little down into the third-line center role, put a guy like Matthew Shane second-line center, hmm. That's that's a big step in the right direction. Yeah, that'd be that'd be very interesting if the Jets could pull that off. In conversation with Mike Kelly from the PointHockey.com TSN Stat Center contributor on Twitter at Mike Kelly NHL. Let's get to the Leafs here. Power play, great week, and this week one of the the aspects we've seen on display the most is Austin Matthews snapshot, which is just <laughs> sick, right? Like like you watch it, it's one of the best in the league at this point. What do you feel separates Matthews' shot from others in the NHL, making him one of the league's uh, top offensive threats? Uh, when I look at it, it's speed in its deception and its location. Hmm. And the speed is just getting the puck off his stick as fast as he does. I'll be honest, at the start of the year when they put him on the first unit uh, left side power play, I'm thinking, okay, you got a left shot over there. Is he going to be able to you know, create offense quickly on these cross-ice passes for Marner? The answer is yes. I mean, the guy, the puck's on his stick and it's off his stick and it's in the back of the net, you know, in the blink of an eye. So he's got a really quick release. Also the way that he pulls it towards his feet. And you've seen him do this dozens of times just to change the angle on the goaltender and also to get it around sticks and defenders as well. 
um, in tight spaces, he's able to just pull the puck in towards his feet and then release with a lot of velocity. And there's not a lot of guys in the league that can do it as well as him, maybe nobody. So that's, that's another uh, staple of his shot. And then in terms of location, he scored 101 goals in the NHL. A hundred of them have been between the dots. Hmm. He scored one time from outside of the dots towards the boards on either side of the ice. So you look at Austin Matthews and, and so many of these goals, he literally has the puck right outside the dot and he'll pull it in to just inside the dot and let it go. And it might not seem like a lot, but that's enough to change an angle to give himself more of the net to shoot. And in a game of inches, every inch matters. We've seen him do that a ton. And when he went through this little drought where he had one goal in 10 games, much higher number of his shot attempts were coming from outside the dots. He was getting pushed outside a little more. Now, Matthews is one of the best guys in the league at creating from in between the dots, so it's, it's not as easy as, as saying, hey, defenders, just push him outside. The guy's an all-world talent. He knows how to get inside. But that really is, when you look at the fact that 100 of his 101 goals have come from between the dots, that's the X factor in terms of what you want to try to do to defend him if you can find a way to push him outside because he doesn't score from there. And Mike, let's go back to the Western Conference a little bit here. And our own Travis Yost was uh, last week, I believe it was, uh, picked the San Jose Sharks as the team to beat in the West. So it's tough to argue with him given the talent on that roster and the point power rankings had the Sharks at number three in the entire league. When we shift our focus to the second best team in the West, it gets very interesting, right? We talked about Winnipeg, what they could add and where they're at. Then you got the Calgary Flames and you have Nashville all in the hunt at around 73 points. So with the, the varying talent on those teams, who do you feel is number two in the Western Conference? Well, I wouldn't be so quick to say that San Jose is number one, slam mm. dunk, first of all. Um, obviously, they're right there. To me, the team that has the best odds of coming out of the Western Conference, if you're talking about the you know Pacific Division, maybe even in general, it's the team that finishes first in the division, and right now that's Calgary. Right. The team that finishes second in the division is going to likely play Vegas, who I, th- I still think has another gear. They still might make another big move. And whoever wins the Pacific is getting one of these, um, you know, pretty weak wildcard teams. We see the, the race for the wildcard in the West, how weak that's been. So I think whatever team finishes first in the Pacific is the favorite, whether that's Calgary or San Jose. And, you know, even looking at the, the Flames and the Sharks, similar in a lot of ways, you look at goaltending, San Jose's goaltending has not been good this year. It has been well below average. And that's a big red flag for me before you can anoint a team, you know, the best in, in a conference. So I, I think it'll be interesting seeing which team ends up winning the division. I think that's a massive advantage. You look at it right now, it's the difference between playing either Vegas or Dallas or Minnesota. Yeah, that's huge. That's a big difference. Um, so, you know, before you get into the second, third round and, and beyond, you got to get out of that first mm-hmm. round. And I think that's a lot easier for the team that wins the division. And, and like I said, uh, I, there's there's some issues right now with, with San Jose's goaltending. Calgary's goaltending the last couple of months hasn't been great either, but overall this season, Calgary's goaltending, when you look at expected goals, um, you know, shot quality, shot location, lump it all together, Calgary's been average and San Jose's been below. 
Yeah, Vegas, definitely a tough out. That's somebody you want to avoid. Now, in a similar vein to the Philadelphia Flyers, you got the Chicago Blackhawks, but in a much closer race for the wild card. We mentioned how those, those two wild card teams right now, Dallas and Minnesota, relatively weak. So Chicago's been hot. They're right in the hunt at 57 points, tied with Colorado, with Arizona, two points back of Vancouver, who's knocking on the door of Minnesota, who's at 60, and the Stars at 63. So with Chicago, we know they have the playoff experience. Do you feel the run they've been on, they could make a push? And maybe if they become one of those two wildcard teams, would they be a, a tougher out just because of, of that playoff experience that they do have as, as a core? Yeah, it's an interesting thought. I think, I think Chicago's fool's gold, to be honest. Mm. And I think if you flipped Philly and Chicago, if you put Philly in the West in Chicago's spot, they'd have a good chance of making the playoffs. Chicago, like I said, I think they're fool's gold right now. And But it's so weak in that race for the yeah. wild card in the West that, sure, you know, can they be better than a Colorado, Arizona, or Vancouver, or Minnesota the way they're trending? They could. But here are some big red flags in, in what's going on with the Hawks right now. So they've won eight of their last ten games. Power play has been great, over 30%. Uh, goaltending has been good. They have been the leakiest defensive team in the league in that time. They're allowing... 17 slot shots against per game, which is second worst in the league. They're getting killed on the cycle. Um, expected goals against worst in the league. So, you know, th- it reminds me of the Buffalo Sabres in November. Buffalo mm-hmm. in November won 10 games in a row. And they were sitting at the top of the Atlantic Division. And a lot of people said, you know, they're a top team in the league. They're buzzing. In that 10-game stretch, they allowed more scoring chances than any team in the NHL. They, by my measure, the model I look at should have won three of those 10 games. They won all of them. Seven of them went past regulation. So this was a, you know, I think when I wrote about it at the point, uh, hockey.com, I likened it to the housing bubble of 2008. It was that kind of a bubble. (laughs) It blew up. It exploded. So the Blackhawks, again, you look at a team, expected goals against during this eight wins in 10 games that is the worst in the NHL. They're getting good goaltending. They're riding a hot power play. This bubble is going to burst. I like that comparison. The only difference is less people could lose their house, which is a good thing. Which is a good thing. It is a good thing. And I'll say, though, when you talk about teams that are, that are kind of buzzing right now and if they're legit or not, St. Louis, everything underneath is fantastic. That's a team that I think is, is really um, found another gear, obviously. They had such a bad start to the season, but... The St. Louis Blues, the way they're playing, I wouldn't want to play them right now. And, uh, and that, that's a team on a streak that I think is able to you know, keep up this, this uh, level of, of, of really great play. Mike, great stuff as always, man. Thank you so much for taking the time. I appreciate it. Anytime, Andy. My pleasure. All right, there he goes. Mike Kelly on Twitter, at Mike Kelly NHL. Does great work at thepointhockey.com and TSN Stat Center contributor. We'll talk a little bit about those St. Louis Blues that Mike mentioned, as well as some Maple Leafs conversation after the break when Gus Katsaros from Roto World and McKean's Hockey stops by TSN Hockey Analytics. If you're hungry, check out this great deal from Domino's. Unlimited two-topping medium pizzas for just $7.99 each. That's right, as many pizzas as you want with a minimum purchase of two pizzas. So stock up, dig in, and feed that hunger with unlimited two-topping medium pizzas. Perfect for the big game, a busy night with the family, or just because. Order online today at dominoes.ca and add on some great side dishes and dessert. That's dominoes.ca. the meaning behind the numbers and more. 
This is TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050, the voice of hockey. Back and live here on TSN 1050 Toronto, it's TSN Hockey Analytics. I'm Andy McNamara. On Twitter, at TSN Analytics, at AndyMC81. You can subscribe and rate us on iTunes if you missed any of the show or just to get the latest episodes delivered right to you. Also, find us on the TSN1050.ca show page, and we'll tweet out the links at the Twitter accounts, again, at TSN Analytics. Let's go to the Domino's Canada delivery line. And, folks, large four-topping pizza, just $12.99. There are tons of deals on there for any size, a party, yourself, family, whatever. Check it all out at dominoes.ca. That's dominoes.ca. It's Gus Katsaros from McKean's Hockey and Roto World. Gus, how's it going, man? Having me back on. Oh, absolutely, dude. Listen, let's get to the Leafs here. And Mike Babcock, we know has not been shy when it comes to switching up line combinations over the past couple months. Now it seems the defense is under the spotlight in the latest Babcock blender creation. We got Morgan Riley moved back to his natural right side this week. Previously, he was on the left when Jake Muzzin came to town. But now the Leafs' best defenseman is on his strong side alongside Ron Hainsey. But we know even though Babcock has that affinity for Hainsey, for that, that solid, steady veteran, he could run out of gas. And if you're on the top line or on the top defensive pairing, that's not going to solve that problem. Do you feel like just how the defense is shaped right now and with Babcock kind of going back and forth on pairings, that this almost forces Kyle Dubas to make another move on the blue line for Toronto before the deadline? You know, I, I always thought that as soon as Muzzin was acquired that uh, the Leafs would look at either a depth move, regardless of whether or not um, they were going to keep Muzzin and Riley in, uh, as a pairing. The fact that they went back to Riley and Hainsey, Babcock used the, ex, um, the explanation, I'm not going to say excuse, but the explanation <laughs> of having Riley on his strong side is is a much better situation for everybody in general. I would tend to agree with that. You do always want to play to a player's strong suit. Playing against their weaknesses is, is, is not a... Um, a progressive strategy. Um, at the same time, to your point, now maybe it, it might be one of those instances where they might have to go and still get a depth player that perhaps would rotate with Hainsey um, in case he's unable to handle all those really big minutes. I mean, in the playoffs, if they start going into heavy overtime mm-hmm. periods, you know, it, it becomes an issue here. But at the same time, you, you need to make sure that you have stability along your defensive pairings. So what are the Leafs going to do? Carry seven defensemen in case Ron Hainsey isn't available to do that? Are you really maximizing your lineup like that? I think Kyle Dubas has a few questions that he needs to ask. Do they have to replace Hainsey entirely? Do they need an entirely new body to play on that right side because moving Riley to the right side with Muzzin on the left isn't really working very well? Um, Or do they just need to get a little bit of depth up front to maybe kind of help sink the forwards with the defenseman, which to me is the biggest glaring problem the Leafs have. Right, and so as we approach things, that's going to be one of the the most fascinating areas to follow. If they do try to make that depth move, or as you said, what type of combination you have on the blue line. Uh, Gus, one guy up front for the Leafs who's really been playing well as of late, Andreas Janssen, went down with an injury this week, and the Leafs are saying the injury isn't too serious despite the fact he missed Saturday's game in Arizona. So does Janssen's, does his, the physicality that he has in his game, does it give the Leafs the luxury of not needing to add depth up? front at the deadline do you feel and and that they can mainly focus on the blue line needs that we spoke about yeah you know i kind of thought that they might want to add at least a depth forward somewhere Mm -hmm. some somewhere up the line um 
I know that in the it's kind of been in the Twitterverse and in the rumor monger that the Leafs might look at Wayne Simmons. I just don't find a fit there. Um, they have players that can duplicate what Wayne Simmons does in front of the net uh, as far as net front and physicality. Physicality has to be a shared common characteristic among the team. It's right. not one player's responsibility to become physical or to uh, enact physical uh, punishment on another team. And, you know, Janssen is more of a skilled player than he really is a physical player. So to me, I, I really think that the Leafs need to enact a completely different mentality around their physicality at key moments, not necessarily bus bashing, smashing, and crashing. Um, but if Janssen is unable to go, they might have to bring up a player or at least replace the skilled element that he would be removing mm-hmm. from the lineup. So I think that Dubas has a bit more of a, um, like, what do we do in case this skilled element is removed from our lineup? How do we end up replacing it? That might be a bit more of an expensive acquisition, more so mm-hmm. than he would want to pay at the trade deadline. And I think, too, Gus, it's kind of the the mentality that, that some fans have. It's stuck sort of in the 90s, right? When you think toughness, it's you can't just add one guy. I think you put it perfectly. It has to be in team mentality because before it was add toughness means go get a goon, right? Go get a fighter and you pop him out there and he'll fight the other guy's fighter and that kind of takes care of things overall. But that's that's like a 90s look. That's not how the game's played anymore. You can't just go out and get one guy because for the most part, you can't afford to have on your roster one guy that can be just single dimensional, right? And just fight. You have to have that team mentality. Absolutely. If it's a skilled league, yeah. the requirement is skill first and foremost. Yes. Um, you know, you can't hit me if you can't catch me. Mm-hmm. I like that kind of mindset. However, and I keep harping on those key moments, um, and I'll use an example from last night's game against Arizona. Jake Gardner is having a one-on-one battle and behind the net. Lawson Kraus comes in, makes it a two-on-one battle. Gardner loses the puck. They skate on the weak side. A pass comes in front, and a goal is scored. So the reality here is he didn't need to bash, smash, and crash him. He just needed to get into Gardner's way to force the turnover. That is what the Leafs do not do very well, and that is the characteristic of physicality to which I, uh, to right. which I allude to a lot. Uh, you don't need that one goon or an enforcer no. or a player that's going to come in and bash, smash, and crash. They need to do that on a team level consistently. In conversation with Gus Katsaros, Roto World Analytics columnist, McKean's Hockey Analyst, and on Twitter, Cats with a K, at Cats Hockey. Go to Leafs power play here and came back to life this week, right? Guess we had uh, even Mike Babcock had some high praise for his units in a couple post game interviews this past week, and we knew the talent was always there. But if they're clicking like they are now in April or May, is it too much of a stretch to say that the Leafs' lethal power play could make the difference in a playoff series? So that is a um, well, special teams in general have a very. Um, uh, I wouldn't call them a high efficiency rate, but you need to be able to capitalize on those power play opportunities, especially in key moments where you're down a goal, maybe even up a goal to add some insurance. Um, if teams want to play the Leafs into the ground and try to rub them out and um, and force penalties upon themselves, um, the Leafs power play could potentially be one of those silent killers that, that, that ends up putting the, a series out of reach for a team. However, we talk about the Leafs' power play coming back to resurgent. It was great during the first few, let's call it the first couple of months of the season. Video became much more prevalent. I mean, if I can spot certain things, on, then I'm sure that somebody with a lot more capable lie and working for uh, um, teams that are going to end up opposing the Leafs, especially in the playoffs, 
they'd be able to key in on some specific components of that power play and perhaps try to shut it down. Now, it's hard to shut down a power play when you have lethal components like Matthews on one and Marner on the other. you got Tavares as the net front guy, and Kadri is a great bumper. Um, but the way that they move the puck around and the way they kind of stretch out the forward at the top uh, to try to create space from the right side, um, it's becoming a bit predictable. So what I'm hoping, while the resurgence was nice to see this uh, um, this week, and they did try some new different strategies and different tactics, um, video is still pretty prevalent. So if they're not using tactic A, they're going to use tactic B. The predictability in the least power play is their downfall. So they need to do something in order to generate more scoring chances without being so predictable. And Gus, let's finish on this. We alluded to it with Mike Kelly off the top. You mentioned the St. Louis Blues. And uh, earlier this week on Roto World, you detailed how the St. Louis Blues have been able to bounce back from a rocky start to the season and launch themselves into the Western Conference playoff picture. And one of the things that makes the turnaround surprising is the fact they've done it with 24-year-old Jordan Bennington in net since mid-January. And what has been the, the driving force, do you feel, behind the Blues coming back to life, given how tight that West race is? You know, it's kind of funny because it seems like the overall narrative focuses on the uh, on the the issues that the Blues have faced in the crease, and they have. Jake Allen hasn't been exactly what they expected him to be. So Bennington comes in and performs average, and he performs better than average because they start winning. Mm-hmm. But the reality is, the Blues have generated much more in terms of offense over the last, let's say, six to eight weeks. They have generated more high danger chances. That element is more prevalent in their winning capabilities than a better set of, uh, sorry, a better goaltender in the crease. Bennington's been a great story and they've added just stability in the crease. To me, and I, and I'm probably alone in this, I feel that you just need average goaltending to be competitive. You need to be able to score goals to win games. The Blues went from a point where they weren't really generating a lot of good scoring chances. They might have gotten a bit of quantity, but they really weren't generating good scoring chances. Um, they've increased that. They've increased the high danger scoring chances. They've generated more shots and more scoring chances from those high danger areas in the last six to eight weeks, which has increased their offense, taken a little bit of pressure off the goaltenders as well. Because, I mean, you can't play one nothing every single game and hope that your goaltenders keep them in you. And then all of a sudden now they're starting to rack off wins and they're one of the best teams in the league. This is where they should have been going into the season. The fact that they sputtered for two months and then finally found their game has been an issue. But the reality here is if the Blues do kind of sneak into the playoffs, and I'm not really thinking that they're going to sneak their third place at this point, um, they're not just a dark horse, but they could be very, very difficult to contend with in a very tight playoff race in the West. It'll be fun to follow. Gus, thank you so much, buddy. Pleasure is always mine. Have a great one, guys. Thank All right, you too. Gus Kitzeros, Roto World Analytics columnist, and McKean's Hockey Analyst on Twitter at Cats with a K, at Cats Hockey. We'll step aside and take a look at the TSN trade bait board. Also, a tweet coming down a few minutes ago from Darren Dreger about some possible plans from the Ottawa Senators. We'll give you the latest TSN's trade bait board coming up next on TSN Hockey Analytics. Get the meaning behind the numbers and more. You're listening to TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050, the voice of hockey. Back and rolling here on TSN Hockey Analytics, TSN 1050 Toronto. I'm Andy McNamara on Twitter at TSN Analytics at AndyMC81. We are delivered by Domino's. Go grab yourself a large four-topping pizza for just $12.99. But check out all the deals online at dominoes.ca. 
You can get the marbled cookie brownie. You know how much I love that for dessert. The lava cakes, the cheesy bread, the pasta, the boneless chicken. It's all good. On Twitter as well, at Domino's Canada, and all online at dominoes.ca. You can find Andreas on iTunes, show page, tsn1050.ca. Scroll down, you'll see the logo, and you can get all the latest episodes if you missed anything about the program today or past shows. But let's get to the trade bait board here, people. Okay, it's coming up fast and furious, and I'm going to host a special TSN trade Deadline show this upcoming Sunday, the 24th from 7 to 11 p.m. So make sure you tune in for that right here on TSN 1050. But coming down from TSN Hockey Insider Darren Dreger just a few minutes ago, he says, quote on Twitter at Darren Dreger, unless there's a last-minute change, the Ottawa Senators plan on trading Matt Duchesne. Mark Stone's future in Ottawa should also be determined earlier, early this week, well in advance of the trade deadline. So the Senators... I'm trying to get their ducks in order there. And Pierre Lebrun also tweeting out, who we'll hear about in a moment, uh, saying that the, the, the interest from both conferences on Duchesne and believes that Columbus and Nashville are among the many teams which have checked in with the Senators on him. So Ottawa looking to be a very key player in this trade deadline. Uh, Pierre Lebrun one of our many TSN Hockey Insider. He spoke on the station earlier about uh, who will be the teams competing for the big dogs on the TSN's trade bait board. Well, I touched on it. All roads lead through Winnipeg and Nashville. Those two contenders are so hungry to add. I don't care what's being said publicly. I'm telling you right now, David Poyle, who's been around for a long, long time, in fact, just had a birthday yesterday again, um, he's never won a cup. He's had great teams forever. And he wants one so badly, it's, he can't hide it. He's going to go add a big piece, whether it's a Panarin or a Duchesne. I really think he's going to try on, these, on both of those guys and try and get one of them. Remember, he tried for two years to get Matt Duchesne out of Colorado and couldn't get it done. Um, so keep that in mind. I think Winnipeg knows their team will never be this deep again for a long time because the CBA is going to rear its ugly head this summer. New contracts coming for Liney and Connor. Truba needs a deal. Myers needs a deal. This is the deepest Jets team ever. They need to go out of peace. And, you know, Dregs mentioned this week he thinks Mark Stone is the number one target. But if they can't get Stone, Wayne Simmons is a possibility. Watch out. Winnipeg and Nashville, the two Central Division powerhouse teams, are going to add. Mark my words. All right, that's Pierre Lebrun on TSN 1050. Earlier in the week, things heating up, and you can keep track of all of it on tsn.ca. You have the trade tracker for trades that have happened, the trade bait board, and also the latest rumor section. So that's all you got to do. Go to tsn.ca, and you'll see it across the tab right there. We're going to step aside quickly after the break. Let's help out your fantasy hockey team, right, with all these trades, with all these potential moves. How is that going to affect your NHL fantasy team. Well, James Harding, NHL.com fantasy writer, joins me next to help us out on TSN Hockey Analytics. All right, back to wrap up TSN Hockey Analytics here on TSN 1050 Toronto. You can grab the show on Twitter at TSN Analytics, myself at AndyMC81, and subscribe and rate us on iTunes so you don't miss an episode. We'll tweet out the links as well, and you can also go to the TSN1050.ca show page, get the link right there. And we're streaming on the iHeartRadio app all over the place. Bluetooth in your car. You can get us in a whole bunch of places. And again, if you miss any of the show, iTunes, Twitter, and the TSN1050.ca show page is the place you want to be. As well as for your fantasy hockey advice, there's only one place you want to be. That's right here 
on TSN Hockey Analytics on the Domino's Pizza delivery line. Go grab a large four-topping pizza for just $12.99. All the terrific carryout and delivery deals on dominoes.ca. It's my guy back from vacation, as am I, James Harding, NHL.com fantasy writer. James, you were, you were golfing in Arizona the other week. Is that correct? I, I was, Andy. I was golfing, and I was doing a little bit of uh, fantasy hockey scouting oh. at the uh, Coyotes-Blue Jackets game about a week and a half ago. There you go. So. Doing some work. A work vacation. I like it. Very nice. Uh, so you know what, James? We know that, listen, the people come for a lot of things to the show, but they also come for stock up, stock down. Stock up. Stock down. Yes, so give me your two stock ups heading into this next week. Yeah, my first stock up for the week heading in is going to be Jake DeBrusque from the Boston Bruins. Uh, Left wing, right wing, dual eligible in Yahoo, 20% owned right now in Yahoo leagues. He scored his 17th goal of the season and had an assist in their game last night against the Los Angeles Kings. It was his third consecutive game scoring a goal. You know, DeBrusque had been up and down this season, but he now has three goals, three assists, and nine shots on goal in that three-game span. And he's seeing a little bit of an expanded role with elite forward David Pasternak out for at least another week and a half to two weeks after that thumb surgery he had. He's skating on the second line there with uh, David Krejci and Peter Shalaric, and he's taken Pasternak's spot on the point of the first power play unit with exposure to the Bruins' other elite forwards, uh, Patrice Bergeron and Brad Marchand. So he will have incredibly high short-term value right now because of his expanded role and the streak that he's on, plus his exposure to the Bruins' elite forwards. But I think he will have good streaming value for the remainder of the season as well. He's going to be a firm part of that top six. The Bruins are going to be a playoff team. So I really like where DeBrusque is right now, and I think the Pasternak injury is good for him in that it's giving him the confidence down the stretch uh, to continue his production. And then my second stock up for the weekend from the Carolina Hurricanes, we talked about him a few weeks ago when they first traded for him, and his production has just ramped up since then, and it's Nito Niederreiter. He has a four-game point streak right now, two goals and four assists. He had 23 points in 46 games with the Wild earlier this season for the trade, and I said after the trade that I thought he had a chance not only to hit the 20-goal mark and the 40-point mark, but maybe even inch closer to around 45 or 50 points. Well, he has uh, 13 points and 48 shots on goal in 13 games right now with the Hurricanes since the trade, bringing his season total up to 17 goals and 36 points. He's skating on a line with Sebastian Ajo, and Justin Williams down there, which has been incredibly dynamic, has taken off since Niederreiter has gotten there. He's a must-own fantasy asset. He's available in just over 40% of Yahoo leagues right now and is also dual-eligible left-wing, right-wing. So Ooh. I'm jumping on Nito Niederreiter. He's a must-add, must-own fantasy asset for the remainder of the season and definitely keep your eye on Jake DeBrus. There you go, people. Niederreiter, Adam now. After you listen to the show, of course. So that's stock up. Now, James, stock down. You're starting with Matthew Kachuk. I am, yeah. Even though he's in the middle of a career season right now for the Flames, uh, 24 goals, 34 assists, both uh, career highs, 58 points, blew out his prior career high of 49 
points so far through 58 games, so a point-per-game player. But he has he just snapped an eight-game pointless drought with an assist uh, against the Penguins last night. And he does not have very many favorable matchups coming up in the next week and a half. Uh, they play the Coyotes to open up the week. Darcy Kumper has been playing very, very solid hockey in net for the Coyotes over the last month. That's not a very uh, favorable matchup right now. And then they have two matchups against the New York Islanders who are rolling the number one and number two goaltenders in the NHL in both goals against average and save percentage with Robin Lehner and Thomas Grice, something that nobody probably thought we would say about the New York Islanders at the <laughs> beginning of the season. Um, so I'm just not in love with the matchups that Chuck has coming up right now. Three of his next five matchups, very, very tricky. And again, he has hit a little bit of a cold patch right now. I think he will get out of it, but for the next week and a half, two weeks, I'm not very high on him. So that's Matthew Kachuk. The other stock down, John Klingberg of the Stars. Yeah, and the Stars are down a bit right now, and Klingberg just is not producing. Uh, he's got a three-game pointless drought and only has two points, uh, one goal and one assist in the past nine games. After their five-game winning streak, the Stars have lost four of their past five and have only scored three goals in that span once, including being shut out in each of their past two games. Uh, so Klingberg, and it goes with some of the other top Stars players that we've talked about throughout the year, Alexander Radulov, Tyler Sagan, Jamie Benn. All of them have had very inconsistent seasons right now, uh, but I just don't love where Klingberg is, kind of similar to Matthew Tuchuk, uh, just not favorable matchups coming up and hasn't been producing as of late. So that was Stock Up, Stock Down, brought to you by Three Brewers Microbrewery Restaurants. Great food, great beer, great times, locations all across the GTA downtown. The uh, They got Liberty Village. It's all across the GTA. Make sure you check it out. Great food, great beer, great times. Three Brewers. James Harding of NHL.com Fantasy Writer on Twitter at jharding underscore hockey. He's more than happy to answer any of your fantasy hockey questions there as well. Now, James, I want to get to this one. The fantasy impact with the trade deadline coming up and deals coming about, there are can be significant fantasy impacts. So what about with the Philadelphia Flyers? You have Carter Hart, who's been great in between the pipes. Philly goes out and acquires Cam Talbot. What does that mean fantasy-wise for both those guys? I think that the Flyers really did this more to protect uh, Hart than they did anything. Anthony Stolarz was an okay backup. He was more of an AHL player who had the potential to turn into something of a of a backup at the NHL level. But I think with the Flyers really turning their, their season around, they needed to add a veteran uh, stopgap behind Talbot just to solidify things. And when you were, I mean, behind Hart, just to solidify things. And when you look at Talbot, yes, he struggled this season in 893 save percentage and 31 appearances for the Oilers. But just a few years ago, he had a career high 42 wins in 73 games. Right. He won 31 games last season in 67 appearances for the Oilers. He's an established starter. He's a guy who he could, because of where he was with Migo Koskinen this year, thrive in a timeshare. The Flyers are a much better team than the Oilers are. I think it's Hart's team right now, but they wanted to bring in a guy behind him who, if Hart went into any kind of a slump, they could turn to and ride for a, an extended period of time. Talbot has proven that. He's been in the playoffs before. He's won in the NHL before. He's an established player. So I don't necessarily think it, it harms Hart's 
fantasy value unless you were going through any kind of a cold streak, but it definitely makes Talbot worth handcuffing for any heart owners going down the stretch, and he would be an ideal spot starter. Uh, but a standalone option, I'm not completely sold on him because right now it definitely seems like it's going to be Carter Hart's net going forward. But I definitely like the move for a, a DFS purpose when Talbot starts and as a handcuff to Hart in leagues where owners own Hart already. And James, let's go to the DFS. So if you're playing your NHL DraftKings contest, you're going to DraftKings.com and, and setting that up. Get a lot of uh, tweets and texts and stuff saying, what do I do for the, for the DraftKings, James? Because it's like, you got the league, but then specific matchups, of course, are so important, the head-to-head. So give me a, a, somebody who, let's say, is a value play for dra- your DraftKings uh, NHL lineup going into the Sunday or Monday games. Yeah, I like Tom Wilson from the Washington Capitals for the Sunday games. Uh, he had a multi-point game against the Sharks on Thursday, and he has six points and 25 shots on goal in his past 10 games. Uh, he's a mid-$4,000 value, skating on the first line with Alexander Ovechkin and Evgeny Kuznetsov down there in Washington. And they have a very, very favorable road matchup against the Ducks and Kevin Boyle on Sunday. Boyle has looked good, but this is definitely going to be the best offense that he has faced in his young career. Obviously, the Ducks struggling mightily as of late, not having John Gibson. That lineup is a mess right now, going through the shuffle with the coaching change there. So um, I, I like Tom Wilson, especially with his exposure to Kuznetsov and Ovechkin at even strength. Awesome stuff, buddy. Thank you so much. We'll do it again next week. Sounds like a plan, brother. Let's do it. There he goes, James Harding. And again, get your fantasy hockey questions into him at jharding underscore hockey. Does a great job writing fantasy for NHL.com. That is James Harding. And that will do it for us here on the show. Thank you so much to all of our guests. So for producer Sean Lavery and Joe Monticchio, I'm Andy McNamara. You've been listening to TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050 Toronto.